But I, again, as can I persuade you, Helen? I might be. I may just be being a dinosaur. Where, here. I think so, because where patients don't read or write English well, the notwithstanding it has to be safe. The the the, the fact that you've got daughter helping mum to consult with the GP becomes incredibly helpful. As the pandemic plays out, the way in which doctors in the UK practice is changing. Hospitals are being reconfigured to increase critical care capacity. GPs are working from home and doing their daily work remotely. Some of those changes have come at the detriment of staff and patient well-being. But, as we heard last week from David Oliver and Matt Morgan, COVID-19 has helped to cut through some of the inertia to get welcome change done. I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor for the BMJ, and this week I spoke to two more of our regular writers, Helen Salisbury and Claire Girarda. And this podcast is mostly a conversation between them about how general practice has changed and how they and their teams are experiencing that. Over to Claire and Helen. Hello. I'm Helen Torsby and I'm a GP partner um, in Oxford. Hi, I'm Claire Gerarda. I'm a general practitioner in South London and also the medical director of the NHS Practitioner Health Service. And you're both writing for the BMJ at the moment about your experiences uh, in the current pandemic. Um, Last week, I spoke to another two of our writers, David Oliver and Matt Morgan, about uh, what it's like in acute and critical care. And what I think was interesting about that conversation was it wasn't just doom and gloom. They felt like uh, there were some really good things that were coming out of this. The fact that some of the breaks had been taken off um, things that people had wanted to do for a while, coordinating care between um, within the hospital and between the hospital and, and, and social care. So I wonder, uh, for a start, how, have you found any positives um, in the current situation? Uh, Helen, maybe I'll ask you first. I think there have. I mean, we need to, to put aside the obvious ghastliness of our patients' being ill but in terms of how our teams are working together I think it's been um, really quite positive Um, I think there's been a lot of flexibility and movement in the way things that have happened and services been rearranged and there's been a combination of both a readiness to embrace change and do something differently because that's going to work, be that remote consulting, setting up video, but also sharing work between hospital and community and between organisations within the community with a lot less a lot less argument, a lot less argument about money and a lot less argument about um, responsibility and prestige than there might have been a little while ago. Mm. And Claire, does uh, does that reflect um, your experience as well? You've been doing uh, remote consultations and things like that for a while. You've been an innovative service in that way. Do you do you find this is helping you even more? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Helen. If you put the ghastliness uh, aside, and it's pretty awful, it's patients and also colleagues. We've seen uh, ten years of 
of work and uh, trying to change the system happen in the space of five weeks. Uh, and give you an example, our, our practice has developed a, a form of consulting online called eConsult. We this time last year we were doing about three hundred a, a week. We're now doing across England three thousand an hour and plus. Uh, I think there's lots of things that are changing, not just, uh, and I think we'll move back, of course, to face-to-face and direct access, but I think we have seen a paradigm shift in not just how we work, but in what patients will tolerate. We've always thought, oh, patients have to come in, they lose the, oh, by the way, doctor, as they leave the room. Well, I think that was our paternalism, to be absolutely honest. I think we're seeing a paradigm shift, a real disruptive revolution in how primary care is and we've got to make sure that folk like Helen and and the college are there to make sure that we don't go to a place that we don't want to be uh, because we have to retain continuity and access and the family doctor but you know we're experimenting now we're putting in place what many of us have been trying for years to change trying for years to deliver integrated teams multi-professional teams trying for ages to separate access from continuity Try, and this very simple thing, uh, CQC are now, I understand, loosening their requirements on mandatory training and actually saying they want to be more pers- permissive and allow professionals to determine how and what they should be learning because clearly we're all learning now how to use Zoom, how to put people in. Wouldn't that be wonderful if in the throes of this awful disaster we get professionalism back and we get the ability of GPs to innovate and to find creative solutions as they have done in the past. And as I've spoken about in the past, give GPs the resource and the time and they will find a way through. So, you know, it's a good time, really, notwithstanding the the awful nature that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another thing that um, Matt was talking about was the change in in the structure of, uh, of, of their service. So they're moving much more towards uh, consultant-led care. Their, their teams are working differently. Um, their shift patterns even are becoming, in a way, nicer to, to deal with. Um, have you noticed the difference in that sort of teamwork within uh, within your practice, Helen? Um, actually, for us, there hasn't been such a big change for that because I suppose there's a few of us who were in the practice more than we were as academic jobs have kind of taken a a back seat but most of us are there most of the time anyway so we were lucky to have a fairly full set of um of doctors and nurses um on the ground i think we're probably um emotionally a bit closer than than we were looking out for each other a bit more it's been really tough it's been particularly tough actually for our reception staff who used to be being really busy with lots of people coming through the door and now finding it a little bit harder there's still work to do but it's quite different from what they're used to doing so I think we've been closer to each other and talking more even at a two meter distance um, than we were but actually our our way of working hasn't changed that much I think it might be a bit different in, in some of the bigger practices I don't know how you found it Claire we've changed dramatically I, I agree with you by the way about the reception teams uh I think they're missing the patients and we're seeing so few patients face to face. But we, and maybe this is a mainly London issue, we've been reliant on locums and peripatetic staff. And whilst, of course, locums have provided a a good service, it's also been, it's not a, it's very difficult to work with a different doctor each day. 
Uh, and it's not surprisingly that, for example, bloods and investigations were increased, referrals were increased, mainly because if you have a locum, how do they, it's harder to manage risk and uncertainty. What we've now got is all of us taking part in, in the work. So myself, my other partners, we're seeing each other, if not on Zoom, but face to face every day. It's a stable team with stable patients. You know, we're ringing them up and it feels very different. I mean, I feel sorry for the locums because they're having to move to, to places that they may not have worked in before, such as the hot hubs and, and working on 111. But for us to go back to general practice with a registered list, albeit we don't see them, we don't see each other, it feels very different. I think going forward, and also in hospitals, we've seen the return of firms. I think going forward, if we can somehow capture the essence of that and the joy of working with colleagues who you know rather than complete strangers who come in a, a little bit like an uber driver and it reminds me helen of when i first started general practice in 1990 it, it just feels much better in terms of systems but like suddenly even though we're working remotely we're talking to each other and having time and i went in today to practice and saw people that I work with all the time. So I think there are positives which we have to capture. Yeah. And I, actually, I would, uh, we haven't been where you were, Claire, because we've, we've had a fairly stable um, mm. doctor population anyway, so we don't rely on locums at all. So we haven't noticed that, that change. Mm. Um, but I think there's another thing that may have fueled that change where it has happened is that actually some of the things that were really irritating and keeping some of our colleagues away, some of the the concentration on quaff uh, points or yeah. CQC or but, you know, all the, the things that we thought were possibly low value work for us, we're not doing those anymore. And actually feeling like getting back to just medicine. Getting back to general practice, I mean, we'll have to do some of that, but I quite agree. It's It's We've stripped out all the irritating bits that uh, have bothered us. We're still doing it. I mean, today we've been ringing our shielded patients, but it's fun. It's fine. It's lovely to be speaking to your patients again. And there has been, we've also rapidly changed. Uh, we've turned, we have two practices that are very close together, two of our own practices. We now, one is a hot tub, hot hub. And the other one is a cold, but we've integrated the two into one to do all of our management on all of our normal general practice on one. We've been trying to do that for five years and suddenly in the space of three weeks, we've done it. So there are a lot of positives. I think the, I don't know about you, Helen, but the, it will come back, but because people are starting their consultations online, the six or seven problems that patients used to bring to a single consultation sort out my housing, sort out my benefits, sort out something that nobody's managed to sort out in 20 years, sort out this, and at the same time I'm depressed, which just used to sap the energy from you, has disappeared. Now, of course it's going to come back, but if we start consultations online, at least we know what we've, what we've got coming through the door, and it means we can manage it better. We're going to turn... We're going to do one-hour consultations as well as five-minute consultations, which is what we've been planning to do, again, for five years. And now we've suddenly managed to do it. Yeah, we, ha we haven't gone to e-consult, so we're still using the telephone as our first point of call. Um, and I suppose I have 
I have my concerns about uh, my patients who don't read or write English well, my patients who are not um, uh, tech savvy at all. But I, again, as can I persuade you, Helen? I might be. I may just be being a dinosaur. Where, here. I think so, because where patients don't read or write English well, the notwithstanding it has to be safe. The the the, the fact that you've got daughter helping mum to consult with the GP becomes incredibly helpful. We yeah, yeah. find that that the the bits that are most before COVID that were most used were sexual health and mental health because patients felt more able to start and discuss what was problem with them. A year ago, we were doing 300 e-consults uh, a, a, a week. We're now doing 3,000 plus per hour. Patients like it. It's freeing up doctor time. And it isn't the telephone. The telephone doesn't reduce workload considerably and gives doctors a real headache. There are problems with e-consult. You can, you can feel like you're in a call handling center, so you have to mix and match. But this isn't about e-consult. This is about general practice. The, what, what will come out of general practice if we and we've got to be careful. And people like you, Helen, are instrumental in this because you're so, you're, you know, you are a pivotal person. What we mustn't do is to go back to where we were. And what we also mustn't do is to get people who think they know, this isn't you, but think they know, like CQC and others saying, well, we need to do this. You need to do that. Let us just bed down what GPs are brilliant at doing, at changing their systems on behalf of their patients without people that haven't done general practice telling us that this is what we have to do, which is what really bothers me. There was something you said there about we're ringing our patients, and that's something that I found is, is, is quite, has been really heartening in this. So for some of our patients who are more fragile, and particularly for our patients who actually have COVID, we've done a lot of proactive ringing. We've been ringing people up. Uh, people who have got the infection and we're worried about, we're ringing them every day of a list. And actually that sense of us reaching out to our patients to find out how they are, to check up on them, to reassure them, to organise more care if they need. It's just lovely. And it's actually quite different from the... the, Yes. and, And the slightly embattled position we were in before, where we really had to wait for patients to come to us because we didn't have any time to go to them. Or we, were ringing like them up. Back way. we were ringing them up because it was being dictated to us by a series of metrics because we had to meet the cough requirements. Yeah. So now the sheer pleasure. I mean, I've seen a few patients face to face. Patients, for example, breast lumps, which you really can't really need to see someone. Mm. Abscesses you know, in, in areas of your body that need to be examined. It's such a joy to see a patient. I, And actually... So there is a lot that I think we need to hold on to. Uh, Now, of course, it's not going to stay like this. And our patients every day, I'm sure in your practice, we have a a who's died. And it's tragic to see patients. One of my patients that I've seen every two weeks since I started the practice has died. I mean, it's sad to see that. But if we can just from this develop and deliver a general practice that we loved when we went into it, I went into it nearly 30 years ago, for the next generation of doctors, I think we have to come out of this stronger. Totally agree. Uh, and I think I think we can. And I think we also need to have a long, hard look about the things that we've stopped doing mm. that were low value for our patients and for us. And I think there's probably quite a lot of those. And actually think about, actually, should we really be doing this thing, these health checks? Are they really helping anyone um 
you know, actually thinking about how is our time best yeah. spent. And, and can I share something with you, Helen? Because the other thing that I think is going on at the moment is patients are self-managing. Now, there may be too much self-management, but put that to one side at the moment. They're not ringing us every time, you know, should I go to the gym? Can I have a letter to go swimming? Uh, it, That's because they can't go to the gym. No, they can't. But, but equally, they're not ringing us up and saying, can I exercise in the park? And I think we've got to such a point of the paternalistic doctor needing to give permission to patients and and patients losing the, the ability to self-care and to self-manage. It was almost as if if you didn't see us or didn't see a pharmacist, then you didn't have validation and you were disempowered from sorting out your own problem. I think we're going too far. I think they're staying away, certainly from London. But if we can somehow enable patients to become uh, empowered to look after themselves without this, what we became so over-medicalized uh, that somehow, even for hay fever, for example, let's deal with hay fever. We're not seeing consultations for hay fever. Now they've disappeared. So either they're getting their antihistamines online or they're just putting up with it. But the idea that you needed to see a doctor to get your hay fever validated Maybe we're going to see things like that disappear and we're going to go back to patients being able to or people being able to look after themselves within limits and us being able to do the bits that they can't do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the problem is with that, that we've also seen a massive spike in in other deaths, which yeah. may actually all be uh, unrecognised coronavirus, yeah. but some of them may be people trying to look after themselves and failing Helen, I agree. I absolutely agree. But in the that's something that I worry about, that people do. don't know whether they're really ill or not. Yes. And there are some things like hay fever. Absolutely. It would be great if people just did look after themselves. There are some times when being told you ought to self-manage, you ought to look after yourself, ends up with people not presenting when when we should see them and they are ill. And oh. I certainly over the last few weeks, I think the pendulum swung far yeah. I agree, Helen, but I think there's also the certain bit that the GP felt that unless we validated it, unless we did it, somehow we were missing something. And what was happening is that we were seeing people far too early on in their illness with far too with problems that we couldn't solve. And we were rate, I mean, we're a country that has a consultation rate of seven to eight per patient per year, whereas Sweden has it at 1.5 to two per year. So we've got, there's been some unbelievable over medicalization but we of course have to bring the pendulum back because we can't have patients with newly onset of diabetes neurological problems all self-managing but I, I whether it's a south london issue i think we just got to uh, we need to we, we mustn't go back to uh, you need to come to see the gp if you need permission to do anything the other thing the other thing that has to a certain extent fueled the i have to see the gp is uh, a disbelief on the part of the authorities, whatever that might be, of the patient's word for things. So yes. actually, if you are off sick for any length of time, if you need to do this or that or the other, you have to have your GP to say, in theory, you get assessed whether you deserve um, payments of various sorts of benefits, but actually that will routinely be disbelieved unless your GP writes the same thing down and puts their name at the bottom of it. And this kind of perpetual disbelief of the patient and the requirement to have a doctor say it to make it true well, i think the worst i know this is probably going off off piece but the worst was the, the 
Paris Marathon. I don't know whether you ever have had to sign any of those, but there must be a whole group of people where I work who do the Paris Marathon. They needed letters from me to allow them to do the marathon. And I said, I have no capacity or competence to tell you whether or not you should do the marathon. I have no idea. But nevertheless, if you didn't write their letter, they couldn't do the marathon. So these sort of things hopefully will disappear. I have to disappear, but I'm really sorry about that. But I've got another call on Zoom, this time on Teams, and uh, but it's been lovely speaking to you. Okay, nice to speak to you. Bye. You've been listening to Claire Gerrata and Helen Salisbury talk about being a GP in England during COVID-19. That's it for this podcast, but we'll be back tomorrow with another discussion about public health and the way in which it's been framed as oppositional to the economy. If you've got this far and you haven't subscribed, then you probably should do. We're available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you might get your podcasts from. There you can find our full back catalogue. It's years of content all available for free. So until tomorrow, take care and thanks for listening.